0: Hello, and you're listening to STFU We Are Not Done Talking Yet with your hosts, Danielle Warman and Charlotte Gabert. In our podcast, we discuss current events, popular culture, writing, books, movies, and women's lives. Today, we have a special guest, Rima Saman. Rima is an award winning writer, speaker, actress, and author of the crit- critically acclaimed memoir, I Am Yours. I Am Yours has been adopted into the curriculum of several high schools through an innovation grant from the Oregon Board of Education. Rima's work has appeared in Vogue, Ms., The Guardian, Salon, Guernica, Long Reads, Shape, and elsewhere. She was the 2018 Oregon Literary Arts Writer of Color Fellow and is currently partnering with the International Rescue Committee and Girls Inc. to serve crucial causes and empower the next generation of leaders. Born in Bangladesh and raised in Thailand and the United States, she currently lives in Oregon.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome.
2: Rima, um, we invited you today because we both loved your book so much, um, I found it so moving, uplifting. Um, it just spoke to me on every page about what it's like to be a girl and a woman. Uh, your experience is unique and yet it's so universal. Mm, thank I you found, so much. I found myself highlighting so many sentences on every page. It was practically fully highlighted by the <laughs> And also I'm working on a memoir myself and I learned so much about how to write a memoir from your beautiful book.
0: Yeah, oh, thank you. you. I adored, I adored your book, your honesty, your transparency, the bravery to tell all of those stories in full, um, the, to, to the willingness to be vulnerable.
1: Mm, thank you.
0: Um, we thought we
2: would just start By having you tell our listeners who haven't read your book, a description of your book, um, even though I feel like that might be challenging, but I'm sure you've been asked a million times to describe your book, so (laughs) I'm sure you can rise to the occasion.
1: Thank you, Carla. Um, So I Am Yours is a story of my unwavering fight to protect and free my voice from those who have sought to silence me. And it moves through, it begins in Bangladesh, then moves to Hawaii, then Thailand, and then the United States. And through the journey of the book, we travel these various cultures and look at the insidious misogyny that is unique to each culture and yet connected to each other. And we, by examining these different relationships and um, the different architecture of misogyny throughout these various cultures, I come across different adversities, uh, sexual assault, intimate partner violence, emotional abuse, um, all of which compounds in a battle with debilitating anorexia that um, I fought that battle for about 15 years. And through each of those trials, um, I'm tasked with the challenge of maintaining hold over my dignity, my inner voice, and my strength. And so the book talks about how I use every adversity to further nurture my resilience, uh, allowing me to come to the final act, which is uh, a happy ending on my own terms. And the way I defined it is being able to say to myself, I am yours, I am my own. I am my own woman, independent of the environment, the men, the challenges and adversities around me.
0: Um, I have a couple questions um, for you and I, I don't want to be a spoiler alert for readers mm-hmm. who haven't read your book yet, but <laughs> how was it that you were able to write the whole story so honestly and befriend your father again? You know, I, I know you did describe it in the book, but I almost right. couldn't grasp.
1: Um, you know, it's and I and I talk about the the way that happened, um, that I was able to be completely in my stand in my own truth and be able to love him and connect with him and his. Um and I I believe it's because the more con- So the more I wrote, the more clarity I gained. And the more clarity I gained, the more confident I grew. And as I developed confidence through this writing process, I started gaining self-esteem. And I was able to put down healthy boundaries with my father. And he was ready for those boundaries. I was able to say, you know, I would love to have a relationship that is completely authentic and open and loving but I'm unwilling to compromise on any of the kindness um, you know it has to be only kindness from from you and kindness from myself, and no longer a back and forth sort of um, thing where i wasn't ever sure how the mood of the day was going to be and he was He was ready to hear that and rise to that occasion too, because I think he had um, he had gotten tired of of the the friction that had been in our relationship too. he was ready to grow and and meet kindness to kindness and so i think that's what boundaries do boundaries are a healthy standard that we set not only for ourselves but the other people in our lives and an opportunity for them to become their best self
0: beautiful um, yeah, to meet him with your truth, I really hear that. You stand right. in your own truth and then he had to be in it too to meet you. Right.
1: And the way I, I wrote the memoir, um, and you know, I describe I Am Yours as a love letter to any survivor of trauma and a call to action and empathy for those who wish to be our allies, including the men in our lives. Because for all of us to heal and evolve, we will need everyone's active participation. Moreover, I I say from the very beginning in a scene with my father that I believe human beings, we tend to wound each other the way we ourselves would feel or have felt most wounded. Mm. And so I made sure to write this book with the book. The entire purpose of the book was to write a love letter of any survivor of trauma, including my father. Mm. You know, he... Was a result of the conditioning and the wounds that had been placed upon him. And because the book was always meant to be and is a conduit of compassion, love, and grace, that's why it has been uh, an agent of closeness and increased intimacy in my family versus an agent of apocalypse. It has been our rebirth.
2: Yes, you know, I was wondering about that because so often memoirs about families can lead to families of uh, splitting.
1: Right. And I think it's, it comes down to the intention driving our writing process because I always knew that I wanted to use this as a rejuvenating glue mm-hmm. that would re, that would create deepened intimacy between my family members. Um, it, it tasked me to write the, with the most utmost compassion Dignity and integrity. You know what I mean? Had my driving force been revenge or rancor, the entire tone of the book would be different. The book would be completely different, not only toward my father, but also toward my ex-husband or um, the character whom I call the prince. You know, um, every single section, every single relationship ends with me saying thank you to each of those characters.
2: Um, that I wanted to ask you a question about the relationships with those two men, your mm. husband and then the prince, the boyfriend. In both cases, um, I felt like there was, when you met them, there was this sort of immediate physical, emotional connection. Um, I don't know if it's love at first sight, but there was that sense of attraction
1: right. and
2: possibly even, uh-oh, here we go. I mean, we've all had that feeling of within the few minutes of meeting someone feeling that attraction and you kind of know you're going to have some relationship with this person. Right. I guess my question would be to you now that you've experienced two relationships that started that way, do you still think or feel that that is a good guide To starting relationship, is it something that you feel like you would put aside, or just like how would you, how do you feel now, maybe about that kind of instant um, physical attraction to someone?
1: Right. I mean, physical attraction is necessary in my book, Um, and but uh, physical attraction mixed with apprehension Mm -hmm. was definitely how I responded to both those men. And now I've learned to uh, trust my apprehension, knowing that it comes from, you know, decades of hard-won wisdom. And, um, and I think, and the woman I used to be, the girl I used to be before, would take that apprehension and see it as a duty mm-hmm. to uh, lean into the apprehension and say, you know, well, whatever uh, red flag I'm getting from him First of all, subconsciously, it felt like my normal, because it reminded me of the, my parents' marriage, which is no longer something which now, since I've identified that, it's no longer something I'm attracted to. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, I used to take apprehension as a signal that, well, as a girl in this world, as a woman, it's my job now to heal him of whatever wounds he's carrying. And I would take apprehension as a signal for a attra- man um, to be. Versus now, the woman I am, having had written this memoir, I know that I should listen to my apprehension and not lean into it. It's exactly what it is, which is stay away. (laughs) It's not at all a signal of, oh, I need to lean in and help him somehow. That's not my job at all.
2: Uh, Excellent.
1: I think, think, oh, sorry, I think um, so many women, we are conditioned to think that Pain of any kind, uh, darkness of any kind is a signal that we need to lean in and be of service to that darkness, um, that it's somehow our duty. And that's why we feel it would be our failure were we to leave the men who make us feel apprehension, right? But that's all part of the gaslighting that makes us complicit in abuse culture, Um, And now that I found language for this and published language for this, I am no longer disillusioned. And I feel, yeah. Oh,
2: sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say, I don't know if you've seen Amy Schumer's growing comedy um, thing that was on. Right,
1: on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix now.
2: Yeah, she she talked about when you're a girl, you're conditioned to um, view boys being mean to you whether it's pulling your pigtails, knocking your books out of, that you're conditioned to, you're, you're told, that means he likes you. Right, then, it's terrible. <laughs> so awful. She's like, no wonder we grow up later and fall in love with jerks and mean men, because mm-hmm. we have been told that kind of attention means he likes you.
1: Absolutely. And then in, you know, in Hollywood, the trope of the dangerous boy is the one you're supposed to like, the, the aloof jock. The cold and um, you know the cold and distant person. I I just wrote a every Monday I do love letter Monday and today's love letter was actually just about that that the more aloof and cold a person was, um, the more I would gravitate toward him until I realized that you know anybody who withholds affection, kindness, or dignity or respect from you, it's because it's it comes from insecurity. It's because they think affection of any kind is power. And the more insecure someone is, the more stingier they are going to be with giving and sharing resources. And the more secure someone is in who they are, the more generous they're going to be with their affection, with their love, with their attention. And once I realized that duality, the attraction to that sort of sinister, cold behavior just evaporated. Which I think that's why we write memoir. Memoirs, you know, are vehicles of clarity for the author first, and then for any reader. And that's why um, they serve such a deep social purpose. Because clarity is 97% of the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, the the moment you can see truth, the moment you recognize truth, it's so much of the work is done.
0: Very true, very true. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask, I just remembered this was so well written about you walking around New York City and on the subways feeling so stared at and so picked apart mm-hmm. um, and vulnerable. And I would just asked my daughters yesterday, my two daughters in their 20s who live in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I said, do you still get catcalled all the time like I did when I was in my 20s in San Francisco? And they said, yeah, every single day. And All the
1: time. Not,
0: right. And she said, it's not worth responding because then if you say, hey, don't say that to me or get lost, then they just swear at you and make it worse and say, hey, mm-hmm. bitch. So it's the same. And I thought, wow, I thought maybe if 30 years went by, it would be a little bit better in the United States of America.
1: I know. And that's Isn't why awful. It's, it's, it's awful. And actually, I've found that catcalls are more in the United States than in Asian culture. Um, men are uh, men are far more confident with their voices in america men and women both Mm. and um the groping is worse in bangladesh like the actual physical groping because of the actual crowds like bangladesh is a country that's teeming with people Um, but in america and certain parts of europe i found that catcalling are is that an um, all time, like high when it comes to comparing to the other cultures in the world.
0: Yeah. Even with the Me Too movement, aren't they learning something? It's a great- um,
1: Well, that's why we need men to be active leaders in the movement. You know, to be active participants, and that's why I say like this book was written as a call to action for the men in our lives because it's one thing to be, you know, um, loyal to. Uh, to to the plight of women but to be actively participant is a whole other level of loyalty and um and allyhood that's what we need mm-hmm. yeah
0: that's for sure and I, okay. I feel very fortunate after I think every man I ever was with from age you know 14 or something to 25 was like Mr. Wrong and I'm very right. lucky that I married Mr. Right we're still together 20 oh good seven something years and you know we we work on stuff all the time it's not like it's the easiest thing but oh my god i have a married to a man who really respects women and loves his daughters and they have such a great male role model so it's oh, that's such, wonderful you know, a gift to, to us i have yeah i have a great husband i'm so pleased um
1: that's great I'm
0: grateful yeah so can yeah. i ask you for a personal question are you dating
1: sure um no i'm not okay i just i've been too busy yeah,
0: because you're, not, you're <laughs> on the road
1: nonstop from your book. Yeah, well, also just um, the reason I, I I wanted to backtrack actually to uh, say something else about uh, the involvement of boys and men. It's one of the reasons why um, I'm so proud of "I Am Yours" being adopted into several high schools' curriculum, and it's being adopted every day into different. The process sees the process happening in different schools around the states um, because then we have a captive audience where boys and girls have to read this book, you know, and it's, it is preventative care versus retroactive medicine. You know, the book that while when it's being read by people in their twenties and older, it's, it's healing. It's a healing bomb and uh, retroactive care Mm -hmm. and for teenagers to read it, before they're out in the world, um, while they're just on the cusp of the dating the dating um, environment for them for boys to read this and find themselves empathizing with the narrator, me um, as well as empathizing with the different traumas and trials, being able to awaken that in them before they go out into the world as boyfriends and future partners and future husbands. Is something I am just so proud about. And um, I was curious, yeah.
2: what is the context in which your book is being used? Is it is it sex ed class?
1: Or- no, it's English li- English literature, literature arts, English language arts classes, and IB English classes. Because um, I mean, to be adopted into any curriculum is a really rigorous process, and a, a book has to meet craft standards, you know, as well as. Uh, Contextual standards that the themes being spoke being discussed in a book meets um, all the requirements and promises of that school and um, I'm yours is being used for ninth graders 10th graders 11th graders and 12th graders and I have the honor of create of co-authoring the syllabus for uh, this unit these various units and there's 20 different craft lessons that focus on different themes throughout the book, as well as different literary and narrative devices of structure, craft, form, dialogue, syntax, voice, uh, style of writing. And um, it is the biggest affirmation that a book can really receive and the biggest honor um, because um, the, tre- the educators, the educators trust that this is what they want to give to our young people as a global voice um, and as a, as an examination into uh, critical issues in the human condition. Yeah. I, and I love the
2: idea that the boys especially are going to read this book and hear from a girl slash woman what it's like.
1: Right, because, I mean, it's, you know, we, we all had to read Catcher in the Rye. It's time for new narratives to teach us how to be fully alive, awake, and empathic, you know, I certainly didn't see myself reflected in that book that I was told to read in high school. I didn't see myself reflected in any of the books. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote I'm Yours, because it is the book I wish I had been given access to as a teenager, you know, would have prepared me. Well, I guess had I read I Am Yours as a teenager, I wouldn't have ended up writing I Am Yours <laughs> because I wouldn't have gotten into all the scrapes I did in my 20s, which would ultimately lead me to writing the book. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's going to be, one of the teachers was telling me that usually what they do is they use different books to teach craft, elements of craft, and they, then they use another book to te- to engage in unpacking you know, critical, complex discussions, but they said, I'm Yours is a unique book because it can be used to teach craft, structure, form, as well as be, being used for discussions on, on world issues. Um,
2: uh, that, you know, I think your book as a, as a literary piece is so interesting, so complex, the themes, the imagery, the way the voice changes um, from kind of a childlike voice as you grow up. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a beautifully crafted book.
1: Thank you. you. I I, um, I think your
0: mom is a superhero. I just want to, I adore your mother. I hope that time I'll come to a book signing or something you're giving and I could meet her. She, she just did it for you. She, she broke through something major and then was provided a beautiful example for you and supported you.
1: Yeah, she's incredible. She's my muse and my reason and my North Star, all of those things. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah I love reading about her transformation in the book. It's a yeah. fantastic journey that she goes on.
1: Thank you. And I, I wanted to show um, a different a different happy ending than we have all been asked to swallow by Hollywood, which is, you know, and then, and then she found Prince Charming and they got married and they had 2.5 children, which is a wonderful, happy ending. And it's definitely uh, a, a dream of mine in for the future. But I also wanted to show that sometimes being reunited with your mother, finding your own voice, being witness to her, finding her own voice, that ultimately is the greatest, uh, it really, for me, it's like the the greatest beginning as well as the kind of ending that allows for a new beginning, you know what I mean? Because without the foundation of of having found our own voice, nothing else is possible.
0: Very much so. Can I ask you, Rima, a technical Mm
2: -hmm. question? This is sort of a craft question, I guess. Throughout the book, you address a you. Yes. And um, I guess the very first sentence is, is dear love, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken. Um, Danielle and I had a conversation about who was the you. She said, oh, it's love. And I said, yeah, I guess that's true. But I also thought that you were addressing kind of like your inner self your most wise self your soul um that inner still voice that would speak to you and bring you back to yourself no matter what else was going on with people outside so i just Mm -hmm. wanted if you would comment about what what you were thinking when you were writing the book
1: yeah it's all of the above Mm -hmm. you know and um it's uh It's all of the above. It's the inner voice. It's your higher self. And and I and I have that in the final section, that paragraph of it doesn't really matter. You know, you could you could be the voice of a deceased ancestor, a guardian angel, a higher self, my reader, God. Ultimately, the name doesn't matter. What matters is I can call it. And one of the craft lessons that uh, that's part of the syllabus actually is. to trace the point of you as opposed to point of view, this point of you. And I use one of the ways I use the relationship with the you in I am yours is and the, and the Rumpus book review did a masterful examination of this, which is I use my relationship with the you in the book as a way to demonstrate how far away or close I am to my own self, which is to say, A way to demonstrate how healthy or toxic my inner life and external environment is in that section of the book. So you'll notice that the, the more healthy I am in myself and the healthier my relationships are at that point in that section of my life, the the closer I am to you. And then the more abusive an environment becomes the more self-harming I grow and the further I grow from the you, right? And so there's, um, you know, and in, in, in this craft lesson, stu- students are asked to use evidence from the text and they find sentences that demonstrate, you know, oh, um, I, for instance, like when I'm with my ex-husband and we're in the beginning stage of our courtship and I, and I say to the reader slash you slash my inner voice, um, I've been speaking to you, I've been, I've been writing less than usual, I've been speaking to you less than usual, uh, it's just that he occupies so much space.
2: I also recall, I saw on your website, you did a performance where you described, I guess the worse that things got with your ex-husband, the more you wrote, and the more you wrote, the more you found your voice.
1: Right. I think that's why we write, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why, um, because also I had never identified as a writer, not Mm -hmm. until, you know, age 30. It wasn't um, a dream of mine, a lifelong dream of mine to publish a book. Um, I had always journaled for myself as a way to clarify my thoughts, but it was, it wasn't until I was inside that marriage, where I started waking up every morning with this furious life uh, life or death level kind of energy of um, needing to put down my voice on the page. And the thing about art is art gives voice to what would otherwise remain silent, right? And so I needed to, I just, this instinct to put down my voice on the page was basically my human instinct to create some sort of validation and memory that I was there. You know, that's what memoirs do. That's what writing does. It creates a witness to the things that are happening in our lives. And that's why we also um, have partners or best friends is because we need someone to be a witness for the things we go through. Um, Having a witness makes the joys sweeter and it makes adversity bearable. And because my marriage was growing increasingly painful and there was nobody around us for miles on end because we were living in a completely isolated place. Um, my my uh, survival instinct kicked in and said, you have to create this voice, this witness for yourself. And by creating that witness on the page, it started to make me grow stronger because I started um, realizing that contrary to what he was Doing and saying every day, I wasn't worthless. I mean, that's it. It became my, my voice on the page. Became the support system I needed.
2: Yes, it's, it's like you. It's like you rescued yourself through your writing.
1: Yeah, and um, it, that's and that's why. Like after I left, I just felt I was able to start saying no to him because by writing, I was able to regain, strengthen my voice and strengthen my own opinions that um, the gaslighting in the relationship had really withered for such a long time. And through writing, I was able to regain the volume of my voice. And the more I said no to him, the more angry he grew until one day he just evicted me like you read about. And then when I left, it felt like because writing had given me so much, it had served me so deeply. I had a responsibility to teach myself how to, write a book and then get that book to publication so that it could be a source of validation and courage for someone else. Mm
0: -hmm. And that it is. And you are inspiring us all the time. I am uh, so far a flash (laughs) memoir writer. I write, you know, a story about a thousand words at a time, but every time I get something out, I feel completely different.
1: Completely. Healing
0: myself. I, you know, I'm 53. It's not a fast process, but <laughs> it's so worth it. And, it uh,
2: is. and yeah.
0: I, so I look to you, I look to Cheryl Strayed and Sam Dunn and Lydia Yuknovich and Jen Pasteloff is coming out with a, her book really soon. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, I eat them all up, I drink. <laughs> and it's feeding me and helping me learn to go forward so
1: thank you here's
0: to you thank you thank
1: for you being so much
0: a delightful intelligent woman and voice in our culture mm-hmm. we need uh tens and thousands tens of thousands of you but um <laughs> you're, you're here with us today and we appreciate you so much
1: thank wow. you so much yeah yeah, yeah. pleasure and um, i need to listen to your episode where you were discussing i am yours I haven't had the time to, but I'm going to go listen to it.
0: That's okay. Yeah. We, we, yeah. We're so lucky that we got in touch with you and you wanted to be on our show. So thank you. Thank oh, you you're welcome. so much. Um, you're amazing. And uh, that's it. It was a pleasure to have you on the show, like I said. And we'll talk to you again. If we come to Portland and or you come to Oakland or San Francisco, we'll meet you at a book signing.
1: That would be amazing. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you again. It was great to have you on the show.
1: And you, Carla, and you, Danielle, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye for now. And, Rima, can you tell us where everyone can find your book, please?
1: Sure. So my book, uh, I Am Yours, is available wherever books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Powell's, your local indie bookstores. And all the retailer links can, of course, be found by Googling the title of the book, I Am Yours, by Rima Zaman or going directly to the retailer sites. Or if you'd like some direction, all of the retailer sites can be found on www.rimazaman.com, where you can also find all of my published essays, videos, podcast interviews, reviews of the book, and a whole bunch of other other things. And um, I can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. My handle is the same everywhere. I am the only Rima Zaman in the world. So I'm very easy to find. R-E-E-M-A, Z as in zebra, A, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy. And I take care of all of my social media. So if you send me a DM, I will make sure to get back to you. And thank you profusely for being part of my world.